This is episode number 40 of the Bearded Marketers podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. You can find new episodes every Monday morning at about 10.30 a.m. Eastern time at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, or of course you can find them on iTunes, where if you're listening on iTunes, please take a second. It'll only take a second. <laughs> if I start rating and leave an amazing review because you listen to us every week. I know right. you do. We bring the real real. Yeah, take the time. Spread the word. Tell a friend also. Tell a friend, coworker, colleague, lover, mother, father, brother. And while you're writing our review, why don't you go ahead and give us a call, 904-270-9603. Have an idea for the show. Have a topic you would like us to cover. Give us a call at our number. Rob waits by the phone day and night waiting for your calls. And if it's a good idea or Maybe if you even want to be on the show, we'll give you a contact and we'll schedule that up. But let's go ahead and get started tonight. As tradition with the Beard Marketers, we like to talk about what we're drinking. Because we like to loosen ourselves up to bring you the dish and the real news. So, Rob, what are you drinking tonight? As always, a black and stormy. Gosling's ginger beer, Gosling's black rum. What are you doing? Gosling's, if you'd like to send us a check, (laughs) you can go ahead and do that. Uh, I am actually returning back to old style with a Johnny Walker Black, neat, no ice, no nothing. So let's go ahead and get started. This is episode number 40 again. We're going to start off with some interesting stats on Gmail usage and how that's changed over time. Social usage in 2013, what are some things that we saw? What are some things that we can take into consideration for 2014? Local search, is it tough? Is it too hard? What are some strategies on how to be successful in local search for businesses? And lastly, holiday sales, what did we learn this year? Kind of a recap episode, if you will. Yeah, slash rant, slash airing of grievances. (laughs) A Festivus episode, if you you will. So, all right, let's go ahead. I'm going to get us started with some Gmail usage. So, ClickZ actually did a pretty informative blog post on what they call the Gmail quality paradigm. And really what it was is an amalgamation of information from MailChimp, which is a favorite of the show. We actually use them, uh, full disclosure. But also one of the larger kind of email marketing stat publishers sail through. And what they wanted to really dive into is since Google has really shaken things up quite a bit in the Gmail scene, if you will. First, we had the tab rollout, which I think caused some people to get on the ledge and want to jump. Uh, We then rolled into more recent news where there's been some talk about Google enabling images by default, how it might mess with some of the reporting that we have for email marketing. You know, there's been a lot of that has kind of shooken up in the Google side of things. And for many of us, Gmail users are a big enough segment where it matters. You know, there's a lot of email service providers out there. Uh, I'm surprised that people use anyone other than Gmail, quite frankly, but people do. Um, But the you know, Gmail is a big enough segment that it, it bears in mind for us to pay attention to. So given the facelifts and the makeovers that it's gone through over time, what have we learned from the data? So a couple of things that I think are worth mentioning that both MailChimp and SailThrough have both noted in their research that were separate from one another. So I've mentioned both of them. This data is used separate from one another, but it has confirmed similar findings. So One thing that both noted, there were certain verticals that were influenced more than others in the changes in how often people open up their emails once Gmail rolled out their tab design. Out of that change, what we saw is daily deal email or e-coupon sites, e-commerce, 
and retail being the most affected verticals, which makes sense because they typically fall into those new tabbed formats where they might now be moved outside of the primary inbox. So users have to do a little bit more effort to go and find their emails. Now, what we've noticed and what we've talked about on the show quite a few times is many of these retailers have sent out specific emails to instruct their visitors on moving them into the primary box. So Gmail also allows you to tell it, yes, this is a retail site, but I like this in my primary inbox, so don't move it into these new tabs. And so we noticed that quite a few retailers and e-commerce sites actually send out specific emails just to Gmail users. Now, now when you have some of these stats, I know you're saying sort of promotional or retailers and things like that. I know from experience, at least, that B2C and B2B guys have a very different usage in terms of users with using Gmail. So B2C, sometimes you can see 50, 60% of their list is a Gmail user, mm-hmm. whereas B2B, it's like none. It's like 2 3%. So are these broken down by different categories, or are these just overall general numbers? This is just overall general numbers, and it's taken over a 25-week period from May to October 2013. So it's not broken down B2B or B2C. It would be interesting to see how many companies that are B2B, though, use Google as their email provider, which this might be affected with as well. They use Mm. Google business apps. Ah, that's a good point, which we do. Which we would highly recommend. (laughs) So if you're in those verticals, keep that in mind and how your strategy might change for Gmail users. But we'll get into some things that you need to keep in mind for later on. Another thing that they have noticed and moving right along is that unsubscribed rates have actually taken quite a severe dip for Gmail visitors as opposed to other email service providers. So in particular, SailThrough did a holiday sample over the Black Friday season and looked at Gmail versus basically everyone else and how the influx of promotional emails over that time influenced people's unsubscribed behaviors. And what they found is because Gmail has taken the effort to sequester these emails into these new tabs, The unsubscribe rate when this new promotional period took effect, when now we're getting blasted daily, if not more than once a day with these emails, it only saw a 3% uptick in unsubscribe rates in this Black Friday period. However, Yahoo, AOL, and Hotmail were fluctuating, but around the 26% mark. So because of Gmail's efforts in trying to create tabs to move some of these messages, they've actually helped out some of these marketers in lowering their unsubscribe rates. Yes, they might have increased their competition, which we'll get into a little bit later on, But it has severely lessened the effect of sending more emails doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to blow out your unsubscribed rates. Last thing that we wanted to go over, because this really plays in part with what your strategy might be for Gmail users, is one of the things that both noted in their research, and this is billions of emails that they've analyzed, so it's quite a large sample Mm -hmm. size. And we've actually talked about this on the show is now that they have moved some of these promotional emails into their own tabs they've noticed that visitors have now started digesting emails and blocks. And what they equated that to is Netflix also released a study recently that said that most people that started watching shows on Netflix digested like a whole season in less than like a week and a half. 
And they've noticed similar behavior with people that use these promotional tabs that they will actually read 10 emails back to back to back from these retailers. They actually don't read them as they're launched, but they wait and set aside a time. Maybe it's 4 p.m. They're tired of work and they're, you know, trying to cut up for the last part of the day. Now I'm going to kind of read through my promotional emails. And so what they're noticing is that people are reading these e-commerce and emails that are in these different tabs at the same time. So what that means is competition has increased artificially for these Gmail users because now people are reading your Banana Republic, your J.Crew, your West Elm emails one right after another. So it's going to really put the onus on email marketers to try to get people out of the inbox and onto their sites because there is seven emails waiting for their attention of sales or whatever it might be. And it's really going to separate the boys and the girls from the men and the ladies <laughs> in the email marketing world because your competition has increased. So it's going to really kind of change up some of our strategies and how we word our emails and what are the end goal is for our emails to again, try to get people out of the inbox where there's other distractions. Well, I wonder if one of the main takeaways you can get from the binge consumption of emails being in the promotional tab, and this is something I've noticed with myself, and it's probably fairly similar with some other people, is that I'll forget about my promotions tab for maybe a few days. Sure. And then I'll go there and I'll, yeah, I'll binge, go through them, clear some of them out, whatever, probably just mass check them and delete them. Mm. But I think the the key takeaway there is that a lot of those um, retailers who send out day of or two day only sales well how by the time i even saw your email right the sales gone mm-hmm. um so maybe that is something that you need to change in your strategy that maybe in the past before this tabbed setup with gmail those things worked great you mm-hmm. know i remember banana republic i think did that a lot they would send out one day only several hour only 23 things. hours left but now by the time i get those they're gone mm-hmm. the sales True. are over so which i mean i think if you got intelligent with your reporting you can tell yeah how often people are opening up your emails and maybe you need to change your sales for those visitors accordingly but that's a that's a really good use case so we're gonna put a link out there on twitter and all our social websites take a look at it it's some really interesting data on how gmail users have actually changed their habits with emails And like Rob was saying, I think your strategies might need to take a a radical change for those visitors uh, and how you need to deal and cope with the additional competition, but also how delayed some of these opens might be and how you might need to adjust your sales accordingly. So, all right. So let's talk about mobile or sorry, social usage here. I mean, a lot of it is on the mobile. Let's be real. Social usage in 2013. I mean, things change all the time. You got to stay on this kind of stuff. How do I use this data from 2013 to apply it to my 2014 campaigns moving forward? New apps, new networks all the time, new, I don't know, settings on Facebook and it's old now and my grandparents use it. So I don't use that anymore. Things change all the time. I don't even know. (laughs) Exactly. So what are the trends that happened that we can take away from 2013. Number one on the list, and this is a list of, I don't know, maybe five to six that I called, called from here. As always, we'll tweet out the link. Number one, though, is that Facebook users spend 6.35 hours each month on the social network via their desktop. At now, that may not mean anything <laughs> in and of itself, but mm-hmm. that's actually more usage than they use on their phone, which I think was a little surprising to me. Sure. I think in the past, it was maybe reversed on that. Every time I see someone using Facebook, it's on their phones. I don't know who these people are Getting on the desktop. On, on mobile. Like I said previously, it's your parents and your grandparents, so leave Facebook now. And basically the fact that Facebook still reigns supreme in terms of number of hours spent on the network. 
over all the other social networks, right. Instagrams, whatever. Facebook In is still. Yes, I spend overall more people spend more hours per month on Facebook than any other social network. Gotcha. Instagram. I wonder new. what the. Uh, it, I, I don't think it's providing that study, but I wonder what the trend is over time. Is if that gap is getting smaller and smaller and smaller? Yeah, I don't have any trending data on that but you know i don't know i think facebook just by virtue of the way that it's used probably is always going to have more more hours spent on it yeah like you know some of the other ones i don't well i don't know pinterest is mm. also an ecosystem that's actually though. in here that's Ooh. in here okay so that. you like that segue yeah <laughs> keep going well not, not quite yet okay so <laughs> instagram more than 150 million active users i think that's pretty much came, i mean it's been around for a long time sure. but i think that blew up in 2013 i mean i'm i may be showing my age here I'm, i can't remember exactly when but it seems like it was this year obviously got bought up by facebook but that's a ton of users surge in growth that's 150 million active users too wow and what i haven't seen done very well yet on instagram uh is promotional stuff mm-hmm. done quite yet I don't know if I don't know if that's going to be the right platform. I think for some brands that can be very creative, maybe like cosmetics or fashion or clothing, I think that might be a good fit. I don't know about other promotions of if Instagram is going to be the right ecosystem for that. So it'll be interesting to see how they look to monetize themselves yeah. over a while. And as Facebook now has gone public and stockholders want to make them profits, mm-hmm. you know, how Instagram is going to play into that. Okay, next on the list, 15% of internet users are on Pinterest. Um, that's nearly one in six now, which I do not have an account. You do not have an account. Well, Who are these it would other be better that? to see, I don't want to seem sexist, but it does seem very Some geared demographics. to the woman demographic. So I wonder out of the 15%, out of the woman population, what is what the amount yeah. Yeah, are on Pinterest? Uh, they do have this little bit about some, a little bit of info on these users. These users are well-educated, in quotes. I'm not really sure exactly what that Pinterest means. Pinterest people feel good about yourselves. 18% of those 15% have an annual income of 75000 or more. Tumblr and Pinterest outperform Twitter and LinkedIn when it comes to how much time I'm spending on those things, which makes sense if you think about it, right? Facebook's still smoking everything. But when you categorize those two, meaning Tumblr and Pinterest are more like I'm looking at pictures of things, that kind of stuff. Twitter and LinkedIn, I'm looking at status updates and... and, Or a job. Which is pretty much it. And then I'm leaving, Mm -hmm. right? So no one's really using... No one's spending a lot of time on those things. Um, So I think that... And both Tumblr and Pinterest blew up out of nowhere in 2013, right? So that that visual stuff... Instagram too. Everyone wants that visual stuff. They just want to. People don't want status updates. They scroll want pictures. through pictures for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what people want to do online. So how do you take advantage of that? Sixty percent of LinkedIn users have clicked on an ad on the site. They're trying to slam this as if this is a good thing. In my opinion, that seems very low. Mm-hmm. I would imagine nearly one hundred percent of users of Google have <laughs> clicked good. on an ad. Right. Right. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure what it is on Facebook though. I mean, what would what would be your guess if you were to think? Users of Facebook, how many have they? How many times have they clicked on an ad, or what percentage of them have clicked on an ad? I would say it's probably less than that. You know, I'm obviously yeah. biased because I I obviously know what ads are, where I think that some of the general population doesn't necessarily know that. But I feel like the deployment of Facebook ads it's a little bit easier to detect now. Facebook allows you to mine more data, so you can get very targeted in your ads. Uh, but they've done a decent job at kind of divorcing their some of their ads. Now, sponsored posts are a little bit different, but at least in straight advertising, normal ad blocks, 
would say that probably Facebook usage is a little bit lower. Mm-hmm. But that's interesting you say that because I feel like LinkedIn's ad integration is terrible. I, it's, it is. It's uh, we when we run ads on there, it's like point zero something percent click through rates. Well, what if they uh, count? The ability to, when you can mass spam people in their inbox mm. with messages, if that counts as advertising. That probably definitely counts. Which that. that is dirty. And LinkedIn, you should definitely think about redoing you, you, we that. we got to pay for that, don't you? You only <laughs> get like so. a certain yeah. number of those and then you can just pay to just spam everybody. Right. That's when you just start unfriending people, right? I oh, mean, yeah. I don't I don't, re- I don't, don't connect with people, I guess is what they call it, on LinkedIn. Sure. Unless I know them. I take an opposite, uh, you know, that a lot of other people do. <laughs> All so, right, last one. Last one on this list. 25% of consumers who complain about products on facebook or twitter expect a response within one hour are you serious <laughs> uh i think I people generally think that they're the center of the universe so that's actually not that surprising <laughs> but it is surprising when you think about i would not expect a response period to be to be realistic <laughs> much less like, within an you just hour. want to get it off your chest that's shocking. So those those are the stats I have for you from 2013. These are some of the things that have changed over the last year. Apply some of these learnings to your 2014 Pinterest, Tumblr, getting up there. Get on all of that stuff. <laughs> Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest. If you weren't busy enough, get on those as well. Yeah. Moving right along, in a similar vein, we wanted to talk a little bit. So we've been really on the e-commerce side of things. So let's get back to some of our other businesses, our local businesses. And Search Engine Land did an interesting article where they pulled some of the business community, particularly ones that specialize in, in local search and trying to get customers uh through SEO means in the local sense and ask them where you struggle. What are the tough aspects of local search? And is it getting difficult? Because, you know, Google has said and Yahoo and MSN that their ultimate goal is not to be good search engines in a general sense, but they also want to be destinations to find local solutions as well. Um, Because as the general population gets more and more dependent on the internet and searching, it's a logical next step. You know, I want to find what is some good seafood around me, or I want to find what is the best pizza shop in my local neighborhood. You know, that's the ultimate goal for some of these search engine providers because they want to be integrated in every aspect of your life. So if I can get to the point where we're accurate enough to suggesting things like what I should do for dinner then we really have one, you know, we've, we've become a really critical tier in your life. And that's, that's our ultimate goal because it drives a lot of the revenues of our different products and services. So keeping that in mind, it is an important aspect to a lot of businesses because not everyone's a multinational conglomerate business and they rely on local traffic. So keeping that in mind, some of the businesses talked about what do they think about local rankings and interestingly enough more than half of them have talked about that comparing 2013 to 2012 ranking and doing well locally in search engine results has become more and more difficult now that should be assumed every year because as more and more people rely on search engines and the internet to find these solutions it makes sense that I invest time to do that. So, you know, now it's not like the top three restaurants in my neighborhood that are investing in this. It's like now everyone's doing it. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, as a lot of businesses are inundated with, 
many overseas companies on performing local SEO and all these firms that provide it, it's, it's expected to see. Over and over again, what we saw in this article is what people did not really know how to tackle very well is how to get customers engaged, which should make sense because that's the more difficult aspect. You know, I can create a Google Plus page, I can create a Urban Spoon page, or I can even create a website of my own and a blog. But getting customers to engage back with me and provide stuff like testimonials or reviews, that's where really the uh, the proof is in the pudding and how your strategy shakes out and trying to get that conversation going. And that's what a lot of businesses really talked about what is the most difficult aspect of is getting people to come back and provide reviews for us. Now that Google, Yahoo, and Bing are now serving up more and more local results and also integrating reviews into that, it's becoming more and more important that we actually have that back and forth communication and people coming back and providing us reviews because now if our competition has reviews and we don't, it becomes a risky proposition to come into a restaurant. Like, yes, Google is saying that I'm searching for pizza in the Florida or Jacksonville area, but I see that this one has three good reviews, but this one also has 20 reviews that are good. The three, yeah. maybe those are just like some off chances. Maybe they had a really good night. What was I, 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 well, I just think that this is like the inevitable sort of end goal of like all of this stuff with online marketing sure. just in general, right? So it used to be that, hey, SEO is easy, right? Mm-hmm. You just you just make a page, you can rank for it, it's easy. Well, not many people were doing it either. Right, exactly. I mean, 10 years ago, it was easy. Paid mm-hmm. search used to be easy. But as soon as everyone else finds out that it's easy, everyone else is doing it, ranking factors start to matter. I mean, we have to raise barriers to entry. There have to be ways by which we can reliably measure how good certain websites or businesses are. And I think it's maybe just the unfortunate part of of that sort of competition is that the internet used to be a way for the small guys to get in there and compete with the big dog. If you were smart about the internet marketing, you could be better than them. You could mm-hmm. get more customers. You can't anymore, though. I mean, there are barriers to entry still. Like you just said, if I have fewer reviews, even though if I'm great and everyone's loved me who's been here in the last two weeks, I just opened, that doesn't mean anything. The place who's been open for three years across the street has 100 reviews, and it's going to take a long time to get to that point. So I, I just think it's really, it points to that larger picture problem. I think there's another problem, too, and that is that how do you bridge that gap between I'm in the real world and then you want me to talk about you on the internet? That's always been mm-hmm. weird to me. I've never encountered restaurants that I felt did it well. I mean, I know we're limiting this sort of discussion here sure. to restaurants. It applies to any local business, but it's always seemed forced, awkward. No, I'm not going online right now to leave you a review. Leave me alone. It's mm-hmm. kind of pushy. It's weird. I don't know. So, Well, I think sometimes that comes into like you were talking about the approach or sometimes like the timing depending on what the service is, maybe I haven't, when I perform or have a certain kind of service, there's kind of a built-in, I want to make sure that everything's working according as planned. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. you did deliver on X, but is it going to break in a week? Or is, you know, the maintenance you did on my car actually top-notch? And, you know, sometimes these things take a little bit of time to nurture themselves, but also me to feel comfortable talking about, yes, I got the things done at a certain place at this local business. And you know what? Like, it was actually a great experience. And it took some time to actually mature. And I think that sometimes people ask, 
maybe too soon, but also, like you said, very awkwardly or just a very sterile way. Fill out the survey and you could be entered to win in mm-hmm. a $20 gift certificate. And it's just like a very hands-off approach. It's not a personal, I had a great service by someone and I tell them like, thanks, like you really made my visit well. And it's like, well, what could really help me out is if you could go and fill out a review for me. My boss would really enjoy that. You rarely find that interaction. I probably actually would be very willing to do that, mm-hmm. but not many people really tackle it in that manner. I think there's there's so many complex problems with this. And I think one of the, maybe the major ones is, well, it's sort of twofold. It's that who are the kinds of people who even leave reviews in the first place, right? So you could have a restaurant on the opposite corner as you who gets much fewer people every day, but they have a ton more reviews simply because the kinds of people who leave reviews go to their place and they Mm -hmm. don't go to yours, right? So that could be a huge differing factor. I think the other thing too is the kind of place. There are plenty of places I probably go to every Thursday night. You know, we go to the mm-hmm. same place every Thursday night with everybody. But it's not the kind of place that I want to post a review about and tell everyone else in the world that I'm going there. It's not because place. I'm, like, ashamed. Or, or right, it's my place. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the kind of place that I want to make myself feel cool that I'm there that I want to tell everyone else about. Whereas, like, the cool, trendy, hip bar down the street, yeah, everyone who goes there leaves a review because they want everyone else to know that they were there. It's such a complex problem how you break down some of that psychology and how you understand it. I think it's just so new that we have a lot to learn in that industry. If you're a local business, it is getting tougher out there. The number one thing that a lot of businesses say is tough to tackle how to engage customers, specifically in reviews and testimonials. So think about that problem. It might be interesting to talk to some of your regulars and and actually kind of engage them in. You are very valuable people to this business, and these are some of the problems that we're trying to tackle. How would you go about that? I think sometimes we get... um, too insulated in our own kind of processes that we're scared sometimes to talk to some of our customers and not necessarily that we're berating them to leave us a review, but these are some of the things that we're trying to tackle. You are like a valued guest of ours. How would you do it? Or or how could we best approach you and maybe rolling out that plan more globally? So think about that. If you're a local business, it is getting tougher. But as Rob said, that's the nature of the beast. As more and more people are using it, it's not this niche thing anymore that you can rely on. So maybe you need to think about what are your social strategies and getting in front of people and the next bleeding edge thing that people haven't thought about yet. So moving right along, holiday sales 2013, what did we learn? What did we cry about? What did we get excited about? <laughs> right. So I guess this is more like a rant, just a discussion, yes, maybe, maybe more theoretical. I mean, we are running a little long here, too, so we don't want to spend too much time. But I just thought it was, I noticed several things over this last holiday season, especially in my shopping online, but both in the real world as well. Just the way that sales are done, I think there's probably 10 different holiday sales slash weekends in the last month or so. Every day. <laughs> it's becoming nearly impossible to keep track of all of them. What are there now? There's Thanksgiving, which has become huge, both online and in the real world. Mm-hmm. There's now Black Friday, which is, I don't think, actually very popular online. Every, all the stats I've been reading hey, so yeah, far for 2013. Cyber Monday more so. Right. Then there's that weekend, which is huge mm-hmm. everywhere. Cyber Monday doesn't really mean anything. I don't know if anyone even knows about that. There's what's I think called Green Monday now, 
which is the following Monday. Okay. And that's apparently a huge thing just because of timing. It's like a week roughly after. Gotcha. You've recovered uh, from right. your food coma and everything. Exactly. That whole week is now called something else, too. <laughs> I'm, I think it's – I'm blanking on the name of whatever that is. Um, then when obviously we have the weekend approaching Christmas was absolute insanity mm-hmm. at the local places. Sales online were amazing Blowing as well. Inbox. Exactly. And then we have – I don't think Christmas Eve was really anything special Day after Christmas, it's mm-hmm. going bananas again. <laughs> it's so it's the day after the two days after Christmas sale, and now we're approaching year end sales. Right? How can you keep track of all this thing? I think the biggest takeaway I had was that if I walked into a store, I felt like if the sale wasn't at least thirty percent off, I was getting ripped off. I was leaving money on the table because literally two days ago, or in two days, mm-hmm. I could save an extra ten, twenty, thirty percent. Well, one thing that I noticed, too, and, and maybe this has kind of been always the case, is I found if I were loyal to a certain brand, there were certain retailers out there that I found myself apprehensive buying from because they were changing their promotions so rapidly. Mm-hmm. And I and it was almost like, this sounds like a great price, but what's going to happen tomorrow or like the mm-hmm. next day? And I found myself sometimes very hesitant to buy something because I didn't know what the future holds, not because of their competitors, but because of what they were doing themselves. And like every day was like a new promotion. In some cases, it caused me not to buy from them at all because I kept holding out, holding out, and I found something better somewhere else all of a sudden. And it kind of caught me at the same time. So for me, what I noticed as well from certain marketers is the instances of sales also caused extreme hesitantness in me to actually want to purchase because I wasn't sure when the best price was actually going to be Mm -hmm. active for me. I think that's a big takeaway for me is that as as a consumer, man, I just want like I, I want I want to go back to. That Black Friday weekend was like the big sale weekend. Right. Everything and then, else was fine. And then that was it mm-hmm. until the end of the year sales. Right. I, I need a sort of schedule so that I understand so that I'm not hesitant every time I go to the store whether or not I'm getting ripped off. Right. I need to know like, okay, this weekend, yeah, great sales. That That's it though. For the mm-hmm. rest of the next few weeks, it's going to be normal prices again roughly until this day again. Then that's another crazy sale weekend. Without any of that stuff, which I feel like we don't get anymore. I think a lot of that might be pressure from their competitors as well. But it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy that all of them fall with under. And and I know that we talked about one of the later podcasts is I think how some companies could overcome that as one. Like you talked about just being very rigid in their sales and talking about this is the once in the season sale or whatever it might be. But also if it makes sense internally and you've had discussions with it, having a best price guarantee once someone actually finalizes a purchase. If there is a cheaper price that is published by us before Christmas, then just please let us know and we'll refund you the difference. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think would actually have eased my mind in several cases that I can think of, of retailers that were, again, like I was saying, daily changing up their promotions. And in the effort to try to stay ahead of their competitors, they've caused some extreme um, confusion or just, again, like I said, hesitancy in a consumer's mind 
you know, should I buy now or should I wait? I don't know. It's kind of like when you buy airline tickets. <laughs> you know, like this changes like all the time. Yeah. And you're never really sure. And you always feel like I probably am getting ripped off if I buy now. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just causes a lot of frustration in the end user. So that's our episode number 40. This has, again, been Rob and Corey, the Beard and Marketers. Give us a call, 904 904- Two seven zero nine six zero three. If you have ideas for the show, have you been struggling with something? The boss is yelling at you. You don't really know where to turn. Give us a call. We have a lot of experience in the industry, and we also have quite a few contacts. So if we don't have an answer for you, we can certainly put you in contact with someone that does. But again, that's just been episode number forty, and we'll see you next week.